1: By Matt Perino
0: and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. Right here. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Right. Presented by Syracuse.com and nyup.com. The
1: Bills make me wanna.
0: What is up, everybody? I feel, um... A little bit out of practice here. It's been two weeks to the day since our last show, and I lied to all of you. I said we were going to do at least one down in uh, Florida. I didn't get to one. I was running around doing a bunch of things. I was then going on vacation to Disney World. I'm sure you all know by now. It was our first trip as a family. Uh, it was really great. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But then Ryan was going on a trip, and so it's been just this hecticness of two weeks, and... I was putting together the show today and I texted Ryan yesterday. He's like, yeah, I have all my stuff in Arizona. He's on vacation, but the, sh- the Wi-Fi is really bad out here. So I don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, you know what? Enjoy your vacation. You let me enjoy mine. He was crushing it on the coverage for the past two weeks. I'm going to go to the bullpen and I'm going to bring in an ace <laughs> out of the pen. Joe Biscaglia from the athletic. What is up, buddy?
1: Oh, not too much. I, I gotta I gotta throw some shade your way. I've known you all this time now, and you don't even know how to pronounce my last name.
0: I do, but like <laughs> I'm looking at the name up on the thing, and I feel I, like every time I see it, I wanna say Skag. I don't know why.
1: Well, to your point, uh my nickname growing up was Skags. So it it's all kind of there. Um, and I
0: think it's Tim who calls you sometimes B Skags. Or something yeah. to, the, to that extent yeah so like it's sure. always floating around in my mind and you put it up on that thing but just pronounce it right actually just just, just so pre- pre- right. do you want me to do you want me to go
1: in and delete the g so that way like we don't we don't run into this again
0: <laughs> just pretend yeah joe biscalia from the athletic just pretend I'm it's sorry. not there. no I apologize.
1: it's cool it's cool uh, i i was very like uh scarred as a child with all the telemarketers calling and just absolutely butchering <laughs> my name for years on end so we're good we're good
0: um, You can find all of his work, work at The Athletic. It is great work. He's written a bunch of pieces that we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. The Buffalo Beat is the podcast. Uh, you're going to want to go check that out. He has a fresh new episode up right now with Elena Getzenberg from ESPN. So you're going to want to go check that out as well. This is the Shout Buffalo Football podcast. Um, And we are going to get into a lot tonight, Bills related. So stick around. But we got to start with Disney because so Joe has been kind of Getting me geared up for the Disney trip. He's been a bunch, uh, over the years and kind of giving me the do's and don'ts, a, a lot of different things. And when I got there, I think it's your favorite park. Forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn, but Epcot, I got there and I was waiting to be wowed and, and, and it took a little while. And I tweeted something egregiously and I said that Epcot was a bit lame mm-hmm. and Joe immediately beeline to the replies. <laughs> called it out rightfully so. Yeah. And uh sent me uh, a few notes, go get a go get a viking coffee which absolutely blew my mind and then some other rides and some other attractions walking through the different um countries and it it was awesome. But you had to call me out on my hot take which turned out to be very lukewarm because I changed it.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I'm glad that you saw the error of your ways, but I I'm I'm more interested to see like where it all kind of Turned for you because you got in there you you had like a couple of bad experience I don't even know if it was bad maybe you're just running on fumes at that point because you know Disney's Disney but
0: like what was what was the turning point here where did you kind of pick it all up there's a guest appearance tonight uh my wife caitlin uh this is now almost two year anniversary you can sit down here two year anniversary of the shout podcast and this is her first appearance caitlin. Now, because you're kind of like <laughs> I'll, I'll come down to your level here for a second Oh, thank you. this is her first appearance uh on the show and i had to bring her on today because she had been planning the disney trip for two years two years like i'm not even kidding like it's been unbelievable the time and effort that she's put into this. And um, we get to Epcot, which you screwed everything up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's actually accurate. I really did. Well, so what I now to, in my own defense, I am a Disney kid. I've been going to Disney since I was little, but uh, I haven't been to Disney world in about 15 years because we were in Vegas and we did Disneyland twice. Very different. Um, and when I was in Disney world, as a teenager, it was just, it was different. You had fast pass and that was about it. Like it just wasn't the science that it is now. And it really is such a science. And so I thought like, oh, we're going to rope drop. And I thought I read every blog carefully and I followed all the extremists of it. And I thought I had it all down. And Magic Kingdom the day before, which was our first day, went fairly well. I thought it was good. We okay. stayed through fire. We, we were there at, at rope drop four resort guests. So we were there magic <laughs> hour and then we stayed through fireworks. We did really well. And then Epcot, mm, it just imploded. Okay. So let me start. take over here and <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: bring you guys up to speed. We get to Epcot after an absolutely crazy morning. We didn't have breakfast. She's like, we'll eat there. There's nothing open when you first get there because it's basically built for adults. And like they They want to
2: start drinking. Yeah, they just start drinking. Like you
0: can get you can get any kind of beer you want or alcoholic beverage, but you can't get a decent order of pancakes or a bagel or a bagel anywhere in the place. So I'm just like, I'm not feeling it at the start. We go on. What was the first ride we did? Oh, we spaceship went
2: Spaceship Earth Which is such a classic Oh my gosh He hated Spaceship Earth
0: <laughs> Like, you know when they bring out the salad To Michael Scott In the <laughs> one episode And Or no, he's ordering And he says If you bring out the salad some way I send it yeah. back I wanted to send Epcot he back He was
2: saying it while we were on Spaceship Earth like, Because the ride
0: was so terrible
2: It's <laughs> so dumb
0: And so I was like, okay And then we got to Soren, And that brought it up Look a little at, bit what? Okay, yeah. so we went on Soren, It was better It got me emotionally soaring a little bit, I will say. And it got it got things out of the dumpster.
2: No, the turning point, there were two turning points that made the whole thing change. The first one was that he got to eat. And so once he got to eat. Where do we eat, by the way? I don't remember. Oh, that Mexican place. And we also had a margarita. Oh,
0: yeah, we had a couple of margaritas. margaritas. You're talking about that
1: stand that's right outside the
2: it's no, it was that Mexican cantina that you told him about. Yeah. Gotcha. And so we we went to that and we ate and then right after that, we did turtle talk with Crush and Kennedy got picked out of the crowd to like talk to Crush. And it was really adorable. And from that moment on, he was he was sold. So then so the NAPCOT turned out great. We, we ended up staying through fireworks and it was great. And then we loved Animal Kingdom and we loved Hollywood. And then we finished off with Magic Kingdom again yesterday and we did a pool day. And that was it. Very smart. It was awesome.
1: Very smart to work in a pool day, especially with the kiddos.
2: Yeah. Although I think next time the pool day will be the last day because they were exhausted mm-hmm. after that pool. Matt was exhausted after the pool day.
0: Was exhausted. am exhausted still. still. Exhausted. So we did the we did the mileage. I did the mileage this morning. 75 miles we walked in six days. Wow. I mean, I'm I, I work out, I run, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape, decent shape. I'm hurting at the end of every night to the point where she's like, I'm like, you gotta have to rub my feet or my calves or something. Like we're just experiencing pain right now painful. and we got to do anything we can do to alleviate this situation. But I will say the experience for the kids, like, so you and Sarah have done, um, Disney a bunch of times, like as mm-hmm. kids and as, um, partners and, and you, you love the experience. And I got to say personally, there's a lot of things I loved about it, but what it did for my kids, like it was irreplaceable. And even though at times I wanted to throw both of them right off the ride <laughs> because the emotional ups and downs for a kid that goes from all of this, just like stimulation to being exhausted and walking so and being in the hot so, hot. so they're just like, oh my gosh. Oh, and Torres tube actually asked, did you have all your shirts made? Cause we posted shirts every day. No, she made them. I she's got this friends. like cricket machine that like makes them and then she's got to like iron them on. She did each one specific, day specific, park wow. specific.
2: Person specific.
0: Yeah, it was it was next 32 level.
2: 32 shirts. But you
0: got me in trouble because you'd made the one for Epcot. I talked some smack about it. And no. then people were like. I, I- was
2: hoping you were going to be excited to be a world traveler, which is why I did world traveler. And then you didn't like it. Being a world traveler and then he didn't like, I, go in all the countries. Oh,
0: but I did like being a world traveler. By the end, that's the whole story. Yeah. By the end of the night, we walked through a couple. You you sent me to Sweden, right, or Norway? Yeah, Norway, yeah. Nor- Norway
1: to Kringla's Bakery for a he frozen coffee. You
0: liked that? That changed that the whole day. I, yeah. I will say, the margarita to then the frozen coffee to then a beer and then I think some type of mixed drink. It'll get you. I, w- I yeah. was yeah, I was feeling a little weird <laughs> by Remember like seven o'clock.
2: Oh no, you fell at Hollywood. <laughs> All over at Hollywood, it was
0: great. That did not get clearance for the oh, podcast. Sorry. That's the well. Now you got to tell it. He
2: had a drink at Hollywood. He had a, an IPA. It was an IPA. Yeah, right? I had
0: an IPA way too early in the morning. I didn't eat anything. It yet. was like
2: eleven, and, and so I was he, thirsty,
0: so I was pounding it. And
2: he went to lean back on a wall of one of the buildings while there was like a parade <laughs> passing by, oh, and no. he just bit it the whole way down. I got half of it on video. I'll post it later. It was hysterical. And then he was like blabbering. He couldn't even get it. He was laughing so hard that he fell in front of all these people. It was great.
0: We did a character breakfast at one spot where I'm pretty sure they gave me a double. Mimosa. Mimosa. Yeah. And dude, I was flying high. The kids were like dancing with Mickey and and Daffy, Daisy. Yeah, they were all there. I was losing it. I was like, was I had like a full-blown laughing attack. People probably <laughs> thought that I was like, <laughs> anyway, was good. there's a lot of details. Uh, thank you for this appearance. You thank did a great you. job on your Thanks first show. Thanks for shop. all your
2: recommendations, Joe. We need to um, meet and have, have more. Cause yeah. we're going back. Cause now for anybody who thought he wasn't interested and he wasn't oh, yeah. He the whole, after day two, after Epcot was over and he was in love with it, then it was okay. So next year we're going to come first. It was two years from now. We're going to go now it's next year. We're going to come. And now he's recruiting family members to go with us. So, so it's thank whole you.
1: Thing. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad. I'm glad it uh, was awesome. Uh, it sounded like a great trip.
0: Uh, let's get into this bill stuff. There's a lot to get into. And what's funny about like going on vacation, you've probably had this in your over a decade now covering this team. Like you mm. go on like a unplug vacation, which I wasn't completely unplugged, but I wasn't really doing any bill stuff. And then you come back from it and you're like, Oh my gosh, I got to play catch up. And of course we're playing catch up on a day. I'm playing catch up on a day where it's a pretty busy news day. I mean, the Stefan Diggs thing or it happens. We get a little bit of the details we'll, we'll go over, but really this is something that we were expecting. I don't know if we were expecting it to happen This soon, after talking to Brandon Bean, we heard from him uh, down in the Olderns meetings. But let's go to your first reaction. You hear the news today. This is something that we've been talking about for weeks. But what was your reaction?
1: Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it was kind of a necessary evil here. Because when you have a star receiver on your roster and he's getting paid less than Robbie Anderson, it's probably not in your best interest (laughs) to kind of let that sit around a a while, especially with Tyreek Hill moving up to 30 million a year, uh, Adams moving up to 28 million a year. And this, this off season, there have been five receivers that have moved into the 20 million plus plateau. Those Mm -hmm. are two of them. And I mean, you, the other three aren't like super remarkable. Chris Godwin is a really good player, but like, you know, Stefan Diggs is probably better than him. Um, DJ Moore is another one who got into the 20s and, and he's an ascending player, but he's not there to the grand degree that Diggs is. And then Mike Williams got popped into the, the 20 million a year club. So when you have those three guys moving into this echelon, and then you see what's coming up like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, uh, Cooper Cup, who still has two years to go on his deal. Justin Jefferson, who could get resigned next, uh, next offseason. And he's going to sign a huge contract whenever he does. Mm-hmm. You have all of these kind of things kind of going into it. The Bills almost had to beat the rush a little bit. And that's why I thought it was smart to do so now. If you were committed to doing so, it was either one way or the other. Just either move on from him, trade it, get some assets back or resign him. Because you couldn't really go one way or the other. You needed to keep him happy in such a crucial year. But because they did, now it brings up some other questions about what he's going to be like three, four years in his contract when he's in his age 31, age 32 season. But those are worries in the distance. Now it's a matter of making sure everything in 2022 is ready to go and for them to put their best foot forward to winning a Super Bowl because that's what it's ultimately about.
0: I didn't get any sense in. Uh, Florida from Brandon Bean, that there was any intention from the bill side other than keeping digs here long term. You know, things happen. Sometimes negotiations happen and things get a little bit wonky as you kind of get into, you know, the numbers conversations. But I thought that probably, you know, they find a way to to get an agreement done. And the agreement comes in at 70 million guaranteed dollars. You know, you look at the uh, initial numbers that kind of push the the length of the deal over a hundred million and the average annual, I think at about a 24, 25 million, which comes in under Tyreek Hill. You know, you look at some of the other contracts, the financials are what they are. You knew you were going to have to pay to get this guy here. But I think that the more and more you peel back the layers, it, it basically turns into a three-year contract. And I think that they're comfortable with him at that number and what he's done and what he's meant in the building. Immediate projections, though, because I think that that's where you naturally go with the player now that, you know, for all intents and purposes, I mean, they're, they're saying that, you know, they, they both sides want him to retire as a bill. That remains to be seen. We'll see what happens in 32, 33, those those years. What are your expectations of Diggs now going into next season? Do you feel like there's there's room for growth? his role in the offense with an ascending player alongside him in Gabriel Davis, how does that impact him? Is there, how do you see this all working in the immediate future? And, you know, over those three years where he's going to be making a lot of money now.
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a fair point because we saw him really jump out to a huge season in his first year here. And then last year it was still super productive, but it almost felt like he was missing at times. I mean, the, the AFC divisional round is a prime example of that. Like, yeah, he caught that two point conversion, but the rest of the game, not really anywhere, not really a part, part of the whole game plan. I'm expecting that things might look a little bit differently with the offense next year. And it could in turn help how, how the bills operate with Diggs. I mean, Gabriel Davis is a huge piece to the equation. No doubt. I mean, he, as long as he continues on his trajectory, he is going to be the best second receiver that they've had along, alongside Stefan Diggs. I mean, mm-hmm. Beasley is more of a slot guy, but that outside to outside element, it just was never really there with John Brown in Diggs first year. Last year, Sanders was solid for the first five, six games, but then all the attention went right back to, to Diggs. And now we've, we're seeing Davis kind of ascend. So, as long as he continues his growth, that's an element to it. But I also think the sneaky thing here, and I've been monitoring this as we're going. There's no way to substantiate this until we see it with our eyes in games and everything like that. But it almost feels like to me some of their offseason maneuvers has led this to become a potential um, more of a, a threat to run operation mm-hmm. where you know they go and sign OJ Howard. And that obviously teases more two tight end looks and down the stretch of the season, they were so uh, so much better when they were running those two tight end sets more frequently, whether it be with Knox and Reggie Gilliam or Knox and Tommy Doyle, like they were, they were really starting to get things working when Devin Singletary started to become a bit more effective. And that's when the whole offense kind of turned. So I kind of wonder if, if that element to it where, It takes the pressure off. It removes the too high safety as much because they saw a lot of it last year and then allows the Bills offense to grow that way and get let the passing offense get back on track. So it's kind of a a convoluted answer, but I think there's potential for him to get back to where he was, but in a weird way, they kind of have to depend on the run to do it, if that makes sense.
0: I like it, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about it later on. But one of the first big draft pieces you put out was the mock draft. <laughs> where You had the Bills taking. People uh, still
1: won't let me let me lie for that one.
0: But but honestly, like the exercise of it is so important. Like when I first saw that you had that as the the Bills pick, the first inclination is, man, does running back at twenty five just taste horrible in my mouth? <laughs> but the more you let it marinate, and the more you think about like you know it's hard to put this on a guy like breeze hall but like the measurables are insanely similar to jonathan taylor and that was one of the first thing that kind of flipped into my mind when i started reading it we were down in the combine and thinking about all right who are the kind of game changing like elite potential running backs here and that's one of the guys that you're going to talk about maybe in that echelon and it's tough jonathan taylor is probably a guy that you you see coming and have that kind of impact in two years you know once a decade maybe but The measurables are there and he could have, you know, Brees Hall, if he's able to kind of be that dynamic runner, you brought up a lot of good points in the story. I don't know where I was going. We could probably just kind of veer off track here because this was, (laughs) this is really interesting. I kind of came around on the idea. Now I think you get a little bit creative with, with how you do it. Maybe you're willing to move back four or five spots I can't remember specifically now that I'm thinking about it, if the Colts did that or not, but they got Jonathan Taylor in the second round. And I know that there was a lot of late first round buzz on him during mm-hmm. his draft year. At the end of the day, if he becomes what he's going to become, and I'm sure you've looked at the film, the one thing that you've written about quite a bit and, and listen on the film stuff, I, I really do go to you for, for a lot of that stuff. There could be a potential change in how the Bills operate in the run game mm-hmm. now that Aaron Cromer is the offensive line coach, and I think it started with the the types of people that they're looking to bring in. I think Roger Saffold is a perfect example of that—a guy that could set the tone in the in the run game. They might be, you know, employing some different scheme here going forward in the run game.
1: Yeah, totally. I I think well, one of my favorite metrics to kind of track as we go through the off process to just to see any things that are similar the way that they've approached the offensive line this off season has effectively utilized more athletic profiles of the of these starting five linemen and I use the metric uh, relative athletic score and it's ras.football where they they go through with historical data based on workouts of draft years and they assign a score from one to 10 on how they relate to other players at their position. And, you know, it brings a lot into it. The 40 time, their height, weight, length, um, their agility scores, their, their composite, um, strength scores. And, and it, and it yields this one number. And the one thing that stood out is that in the past, the Bills have kind of gone for these big power guys that haven't really mm-hmm. had the, the top athletic scores, but recently, you look at what they have now as their projected starting five, it's like 8.5 and above. And mm-hmm. Deion Dawkins is the lowest one. And he got drafted way back in 2017 before they had this philosophy. But Mitch Morse is in the nines. Spencer Brown is a 10. Uh, Roger Staffold, as a guard, was in the nines, I think around nine and a half. Ryan Bates is a little over nine and a half. So it, there's clearly a push here to get a bit more athletic. And the only thing in my in my brain that could justify that is if they're trying to do a lot more movement with their offensive line, whether it be with zone blocking schemes, pin and pull, which Mitch Morse is really good at, and that's when he's at his best in the run game. And honestly, I think for them, bringing in Aaron Cromer, who most recently worked in that zone blocking scheme. And then there's also this little facet of it. In McDermott's first year as head coach, his offensive coordinator hire was Rick Dennison, who Mm -hmm. wanted to employ the zone run scheme, but they just weren't equipped to do it because they were coming off the the power run game with with Rex Ryan and LaShawn McCoy as their main guy, but the power blocking was really the way they went about it. And so they kind of switched their philosophy mid-season to become more productive as a running team. I think McDermott, being a defensive mind has always been kind of fascinated by the zone scheme. And this is, this is my guess here because it is so difficult to defend against. Mm-hmm. So in having all of these different elements moving along the sides as uh, uh, moving along in zone and, and being able to get to the second level easily and, and getting out in front of blockers, I think for them having that ability to press a defense that way in their mind can only help, the passing offense in, as well. So, if for to do that, going back to the running back point, you need the right guy. You need a patient <laughs> runner. You need someone who can explode through the uh, through the the running lane. And Singletary is good, but he doesn't have that explosiveness. Even though he dropped all that weight, reformed his body, and did a really great job last year, but he's not that guy. And he's also on the final year of his deal. So there's a part to it that makes sense. And trust me, I was like you last year. I was like first round running back. No way at all. I'm totally against it philosophically, theoretically, everything like that. But this year, I think there's a little bit more credence to it because of how common two high safety looks became in the NFL last year. And I think there's a potential market to exploit by utilizing a late first, not early first, a late first pick on a running back, getting them on a cost controlled four year deal having the option for a fifth year where you know you are controlling them and that fifth year being the lowest total of any fifth year option at any other position without having to commit an entire second contract to the player where the wheels really start to fall off with these running backs. I think there's a fair bit of logic to doing that if you feel comfortable enough in wanting to um, become a more dynamic and
0: versatile offense. There's a few things from Brandon Bean, and I guess – by association Sean McDermott that have always stuck out to me during the build about the philosophy of what they want to be. Right. And they've leaned so heavily into the passing game in 2020 and kind of a law evolved a little bit, but you know, certain things, you know, over the course of time last year, I think it was Brandon being talking about, you know, if he likes a running back in the first round, he won't be shy about drafting one there. I remember mm-hmm. when they first dra- uh, signed Brian Dable to be the offensive coordinator. One of the first things he said about him was how impressed he was with him going back to the drawing board and studying offensive line play and the running game with Dante Scarneckia out in New England. Like this has been part of, you know, the process. I they, they love what they have in the quarterback. They love what they have in the weapons around him. But I think that they also want to preserve Josh Allen, and that's another thing. Part of this, the less he runs or has to run or feels like he has to run. If there's another element of the run game that's having a lot of success, I feel like that they'll be happy with that as an offense, knowing what they have now on the defensive side of the ball, particularly af- after signing Von Miller.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the Allen point is a great one. The idea that he has to be both the leading runner and thrower is not sustainable over mm-hmm. over, over time. And they depended on it last year and the previous two years really because of how dynamic it made their offense and i'm not saying to remove it completely because josh is still going to be josh every once and again and lower his shoulder and Mm -hmm. try and muscle through somebody that's that's just who he is and you know probably in the future it's going to get him in trouble by missing a game or two because you know it it came close to it uh, against tampa bay late in the game there but I think for them they want to minimize that as much as possible and you know potentially if they were to invest in a running back that is more suited to what they're trying to run then that could help Allen stay upright a bit more make them a bit more unpredictable on offense. I think that's when they really struggled last year Matt when that Jacksonville game rings to mind more than anything, because Jacksonville just sat in too high for a lot of the game. Sometimes they went cover three, but you know, mostly they were just saying, okay, you are not going to do anything down the field. Prove to us. You can beat us underneath. And the bills just couldn't move the ball Mm -hmm. because they were too predictable. And it wasn't until kind of that, that Tampa Bay game where the light went on and they started to work in more of these uh, two tight end sets that I keep referring to, but It's it was kind of the catalyst where teams couldn't just say, okay they're in 11 personnel. okay they're in 10 personnel. Uh, Odds are it's going to be a throw. But, you know, you know that even if it is going to be a throw, there's probably not going to be anyone other than the five offensive linemen protecting Josh Allen. And and you know exactly what you're getting. So all of these different elements to it add into them wanting to be a bit more all over the place for a defense. And that's, I think, for McDermott and what he saw at the end of the year with the, the uh, not-so-subtle comments about how the offense was um, going and what he liked about the offense down the stretch of the season, um, then I think there's a lot to be learned from what they want to do moving forward.
0: I think a big part of the reason that the Bills were so comfortable paying Stefan Diggs is, is not only what he's meant to Josh Allen, but the continuity has been really affected this offseason. I mean, listen, there's a lot of, intrigue around the combination of Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady. And I think that the potential there and adding OJ Howard and the potential, we've we've already talked a little bit about it. You've, you've covered it a little bit is the the two tight end possibilities now with the the personnel that they have. And that's even before we get to the draft, it's all interesting stuff. But I think when push comes to shove most cases outside of the Kansas city game, when Gabriel Davis was the one that went off, Josh Allen relies on, on Stefan Diggs. So I think for that pairing to be in place for the next, you know, foreseeable future, that's what I think the Bills are paying for more than anything else. Not to mention, you know, what Stephon Diggs has meant in the building. Everybody who talked, I mean, if you if you saw the clips of Emmanuel Sanders on Good Morning Football this morning talking about his experience with Diggs in Buffalo, I mean, that's not the stuff you just say, you know, to fake it. That's the stuff where I always got the impression that Sanders was really impressed with Diggs and everybody else you talked to in that building is really impressed with Diggs. I wanted to pose a question because obviously Tyreek Hill signed his big deal. Devontae Adams went and got traded to to the Raiders. But Hill specifically, in 2028, at the perceived end of both of these contracts for Diggs and Hill, which team will look back and is more likely to regret the move that they made by giving this big contract? Will it be the Bills with Diggs or will it be Miami with Hill? It's yeah, that's a,
1: that's a that's a super compelling question. I'm in I mean, there's obviously no way of knowing, but I'm inclined to say Diggs projects better into his 30s than Tyreek Hill does. Because a lot of times when you have speed-based receivers, when it goes, it's gone. Um, we saw it with John Brown a couple of years ago where you know, he had a great 2019 season and he was their top guy. And it's like, oh, they have John Brown and they just added Stefan Diggs to it. Look at this dynamic duo. And then Brown was toast in 2020. But mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's not his fault. It's just kind of how it goes when when you, the speed is gone, then you're just not as dynamic getting separation. You're not as dynamic getting out of your brakes. And even though Brown was still a good route runner, uh, he depended a lot on that speed to get separation. Hill is obviously an athletic freak um, and is probably one of the, if not still the fastest receivers in the NFL, but he's sneaking up there in, in age right now. I think he's turning 28 or he's already turned 28 um, and, you know, maybe gets like two, three, maybe four more years of this elite speed production, but it is difficult to know when that might start to wane a bit Diggs, on the other hand to me the way that he wins on on the underneath routes because that's really his calling card it's all about his route setup his his technical savvy for all of it how he just completely fools defenders at times uh in one-on-one coverage how he's able to use the defender's body positioning against them to gain separation regardless of the route and reading the defense the way that he does. He will lose some separation as he gets older, but it's not like he's this deep threat dependent upon needing that speed to be able to get down the field. This is a great contested catch receiver. This is uh, someone who rarely drops passes, which Tyreek Hill drops a, a ton of passes by the way. And It's also a, like I said, a a technician of of the position. And to me, that projects more favorably moving forward. Now, will he be the same guy four years from now? Probably not, just because Mm -hmm. it's tough, too. But I do think there's a chance that he is able to outproduce Tyreek Hill the later it gets on uh, into their contracts. And
0: I think... Right now, with what we have to work with, the quarterbacks that both of these guys have, I mean, Tyreek Hill is taking a significant jump down in terms of the talent that he's playing with. So that's, of course, what he's working with now. So if you're just taking that into account, you're probably sitting there like, yeah, I mean, Josh Allen, he's going to be good for the... He's just entering his prime, really, right? Here's the thing, though. It's hard to project past this year at what the Miami Dolphins quarterback situation is going to be. Tua's got a season, maybe less, to show them enough after the kind of talent that they've now put around him. But here's the thing: all the things that you just mentioned about Tyreek Hill and the fact that they're kind of on a a, a ticking clock now with the effectiveness of his game. Not only do the Dolphins have to figure out if two is the guy, they have to find another guy and figure out quick if that guy's the guy to really maximize the impact of Tyreek Hill in this offense. And listen, I think from a schematic standpoint, there's a lot of potential for what Mike McDaniel can do with Jalen Waddell and Tyreek uh, Hill. I mean, there just is. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Just from a talent on the field, like those two players, they're probably going to get the ball in their hands and have a chance to make plays. But even if it's not Tua, even if they have to kind of find another way, they got to find a way quickly.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a little bit more optimistic about Tua, I think, than a lot of people are. I remember watching him on film before the Bills games. I mean, obviously, he got knocked out in that in that first Bills game, and it was kind of a moot point And he couldn't really do anything past that because he was out of the game. <laughs> but I remember watching him, I believe it was the Patriots game the first week, and I'm like, Okay, I, I I see where this this is at. And then as the season kind of went along, and when they played Miami later in the year, I went back to some previous games of film, and I'm like, this guy can can make some really mm-hmm. good throws. It, I mean, as long as it seemed like the difficult thing was when within structure he's he's so dynamic. The one thing he has to work on is when things get out of structure. But I think who he has coming in, um, in Mike McDaniel and being as well trained and, and being able to kind of surround uh, an offense around a quarterback to help them succeed the way that the Niners did with, with Jimmy G last. I mean, it wasn't perfect with Jimmy G, but they still made it to the NFC championship game right. with a guy who's probably, you know, somewhere between the 14th, to 24th best quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. 14th is probably kind. I mean, Tua he's, he's got good skills. And as, and he's got really good throwing. He, he could throw the ball with anticipation really well. Uh, his placement is, is great when he, when he has the time to do it. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of bullish on, on his fit with Waddle and Tyreek Hill in 2022. And I think Miami could, uh, make some noise and get to the playoffs last year, next year. And, you know, maybe even, uh, compete to win a, a game in the playoffs. I, I don't, I don't mind their, their team at all, what they've done this offseason. Mm-hmm. They're going to be
0: better and they've been good for the last two seasons. So um, I'm expecting a good Miami Dolphins team. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. We probably should have let up or put this a little bit higher in the show. Listen, the digs deal happens. It's something that people I think were expecting. So the, the wow factor of it wears off pretty quickly and, As in all things sports, it's always about like what comes next. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously a lot of noise around Jordan Poyer right now. Um, Just find out today he's now going to be represented by Drew Rosenhaus, uh, the powerhouse super sports agent uh, that usually enters the mix when uh, a player wants to be better compensated for their efforts. Jordan Poyer coming off of an all pro season, his wife, Rachel Bush. Very, very vocal on social media today, tweeting stuff, deleting stuff, tweeting more stuff. The gist of it is he's coming off the best season of his career. It was an all-pro season. You could probably pick your holes in it if you want. But in his eyes, one of the best safeties in the league. He's not getting any younger, 31 years old. Seeing money going, getting handed out all around him. Josh Allen gets the big extension. Stephon Diggs now. Von Miller gets signed for big money. Maybe Jordan Poyer maybe Micah Hyde sitting back being like, we've been the good soldiers. We've taken, you know, money, uh, or contracts that maybe a little bit less than we probably could have gotten on the open market and time is starting to tick and maybe they want to get paid now. So how does this all come together? Is there any room for potentially a Jordan Poyer extension new deal? If you will, do the bills want to go that route? I have some thoughts. Let's let's talk this out.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think this is a multi-layered conversation because it it depends on what the Bills value above all else. And we they've they have a a certain amount of decisions that they have to make ahead of the 2023 season. I know that d- makes no difference to this year, but this year they really didn't have to make any hard decisions in terms of who they had to let go. Like Harrison Phillips was a nice player for them, but they felt like they probably uh, have about the same or a little bit better than him with uh with the guys that they brought in. Levi Wallace, you know, another player that pro- they probably would have wanted to have back. But since he's not here, they haven't really been urgently trying to replace him. So let, me, not- let me
0: let me jump in for a second. What? Well, How much did they want Levi Wallace back? I've gotten well, to thinking about this recently
1: because I, I read the uh the read the read the piece that that Ryan put together about how Levi came to his right. uh, decision, and I'm like, oh, I, my takeaway from that was, oh, the Bills were were in on it, and they would
0: have been fine to take him at that price. Right, but my question maybe better should have been phrased better: Should they want him back?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it matters to them at, as much. It, mm-hmm. I think, and this is another side conversation that we're going to have to talk out is. I just don't know that there is as much urgency from the Bills front office in getting a second cornerback to pair with Trey White than than what's out there. I, mm-hmm. They just have not prioritized it at all since Brandon Bean came into play. Think about who has represented their cornerback moves outside Maybe. of Tredavious White. What do we have? Sharice Wright, Philip Gaines, Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson, who is a seventh round guy. Um, Kevin Johnson, Josh Norman, who is on his last legs of, of his, uh, his career. This has not been a priority for them because they've had that great safety play. And I would argue that, you know, investing in a long-term safety would make more sense than, than a second cornerback. But that's, that's another topic for another day. Back to like the, the player thing. They have a, a, they have a certain amount of decisions that they have to make. Um, for for next offseason because of who is coming up in contracts. Stefan Diggs was one that they already answered. So that takes away cap dollars next year. And there's already a bunch of cap dollars taken away from, you know, Von Miller's contract going up, Matt Milano's cap hit going up again, and they can't really push that down too much farther. Uh, Josh Allen obviously ballooning to $39 So now you're sitting in a situation where Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, and Dawson Knox are all going to be free agents next year. So what do you do? Are you going to be able to choose all three? Maybe. Is it fiscally responsible? Is it cap responsible to continue to pay everybody and not let anyone hit the open market? Probably not. So for me, I, I tend to think, all right, what does it boil down to? Probably if you had to choose for two to potentially go, it would be Edmonds or... Uh, Jordan Poyer because they would cost you the most, right? Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a philosophical question. And I know a lot of people are out on Tremaine Edmonds. I get it. The team likes likes him more than a lot of people out there. So it comes down to a ph- philosophical debate. Do you invest in an age 25 linebacker in Tremaine Edmonds or an age 32 safety in Jordan Poyer? What means more to you moving forward? And is there an opportunity to exploit Jordan Poyer having the best season of his career and getting all these accolades and potentially trying to move
0: him if he's not happy. It's, these are things to think about. I think Jordan Poyer is super important to what they do. Right? Sure. I think what he what they ask him to do. Like they talk so much about everything that's on Tremaine Edmonds' plate in terms of running the defense, covering, doing all that kind of stuff. But I think what they ask Jordan Poyer to do. You could probably pound for pound stack that up against anybody else in their defense. He he plays in the box. He plays some deep stuff. He covers. He blitzes. He tackles. He does all those kinds of things. To your point, though, investing long term based on the result, the the immediate results. As big of a fan as I am for what Jordan Poyer does, as much as I I was an advocate for Levi Wallace and and I, well. I thought he was better than a lot of the time, the credit that he got. Mm-hmm. The bills are coming off two playoff exits where the defense didn't get the job done. So do you change things now that you get before? Now we've been talking for what, three, four years about getting a premier pass rusher. They have the pass rusher. Now, are you almost kind of hoping let's do whatever we can to get this iteration of the defense, no matter what happens at cornerback two, to your point, maybe it's not as big of a deal as as fans make it seeing what this defense looks like with Von Miller, the safeties back there. And however you got to figure that out, whether it's it's extensions or whatever else do that, go all in on 2022 and then figure it out later. Or have you seen enough in the playoff games to where you think that there are some bigger identity type changes that need to be made?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think everything that they've done this year is, is an all in move for 2022 and that's that's a big part of how they're structuring this whole thing there's a bunch of one-year contracts in there uh there's there's a bunch of um a lot of older players that they're bringing in with to chase uh this illustrious Super Bowl ring but it it really depends on what they what they view to be important moving forward I, I don't know that it's necessarily like there's a there's a smoking gun from the from the past uh playoff exits or anything like that I, I think it's just they ran into a bus off an offense and mm-hmm. they needed to win a shootout and they didn't get it done because they they couldn't close out thirteen seconds. I think that's that's what it what it boils down to more than anything um, and there are some schematic things there too that should have been better so it's it's not totally player players faults um you know levi wallace was put in an awful position um on that one play with travis kelsey so i don't think there's a there's like a legitimately necessary thing that they have to address i do think that the idea of taking a player that can cover a tight end in a sub package role in the interim is fascinating to me because that's, that's a lot of the things that kind of gave him trouble. Travis Kelsey just continues to give them nightmares every time mm-hmm. you play him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I wonder if you can find someone, and this is a, a tease to what I kind of wrote about today. If you can <laughs> find someone who has the length, the fluidity, um, the physicality that can match up with that player in that, you know, big nickel role in the interim that projects into a vitally important starting lineup position past 2022. Now that's a, that's a compelling argument to make. Now I'm of course talking about Kyle Hamilton, who is a safety prospect out of Notre Dame. And the initial response to that idea was like, look, they don't need a safety. They have (laughs) Poyer, they have Hyde, but Poyer and Hyde are both entering their age 31 season. As we pointed out, Poyer's a free agent, might not be happy, switched agents, um, which is usually a sign that he wants to get paid more. Mm -hmm. And my initial read, especially with the bills and how they operate, is if they wanted to get something done and they thought the value met what the player is asking for, then they would get it done. Mm -hmm. But that hasn't happened. And something went awry to where Jordan Poyer felt like he needed new representation. Now, the the rest of it would just be guesswork, and I don't want to get into all that. But I do think there is something to the fact that nothing has happened on that front just yet, and no. I wonder what it means moving forward for these two sides. I, I think it's, it's very logical to wonder what it means moving forward.
0: This is something that we've kind of been talking about here as well. The financial ramifications, as you start to pay people, reallocating that money and and maybe dipping back into the draft pool, I think the Hamilton point that you bring up is really interesting, and I want to dive a little bit into something specific about him. Mm-hmm. But you know, reading your story, the idea behind it is something that you know, and thanks Jeff for the comment is something similar to what Carolina uh, did with Sean McDermott there when they drafted Shaq Thompson. You could talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that, but it's also interesting to me. The way that the draft narratives work, like Kyle Hamilton, when we get into Combine, right? I'll come up to the Combine. You're listening to podcasts. You're listening to the draft experts. <clears throat> you guys have a good one over at The Athletic, Dane Brugler. The narrative is on this guy. He might be the best player in the draft. If he didn't, if he didn't, if he played any other position, if we're talking about any other position, he's the first guy off the board because he's just that good. He's a, he's a hybrid type of player. He can do multiple things, the physical traits, all, the way that he plays, all that stuff is really good. And then as we kind of move along the draft process, right, starts to dip down and dip down. The numbers aren't great, whatever people are kind of finding. And we don't really know inside buildings where that draft trajectory began. Maybe he never was a top five pick. Maybe he was always a top five pick and we're hearing something different now and it hasn't changed in buildings at all. It's hard to know. Another interesting person too, that I think if he's in range could be a really interesting fit. I don't know how much he necessarily fits scheme wise to his own defense, but I think that's interesting too in its own right with a cornerback because guys like Levi Wallace, who played a lot of press in college, I feel like you kind of learn to play in a zone no matter what you do anyway. But, you know, I'd leave that more for you. Derek Stingley from LSU. He's a guy that coming into the draft process, his stock was way down. He wasn't going to test. People were talking about him maybe being even a fringe first-round pick. Then all of a sudden, he runs a super-fast 40. Interviews are starting to roll in. And all of a sudden, you got Ryan Clark coming out today saying that he thinks he's the best player in the draft. And boom, as he's shooting back up mock draft boards across the country. It's just... It's just a really fascinating. It's time. a machine. Yes. <laughs> it's just crazy to watch it all.
1: Yeah. Uh going to the to the Hamilton thing, I get where where that's coming from. I think what we're now seeing is more of just an adjustment to might have maybe where it's always been as opposed to what it was previously. Because when when the whole process begins, you try to identify the top talent out there, but the the flaw to it is they can still have talent, but that doesn't mean it pairs with where they're going to get selected in the draft for a, for a multitude of other reasons like like you pointed out positional importance safety is not important as important I should say to a lot of teams out there and then you factor in some like athletic hangups not every team is going to want a safety who ran close to a four six and he ran a four five nine at at the NFL combine but. Matt, as we always know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And the Bills, quite frankly, have shown throughout their past, they do not give a crap about either of those things. Right. They believe safety is super important to them. The first two moves Sean McDermott made was signing Jordan Poyer and uh, Micah Hyde back in 2017. And they probably can't believe it's worked out as well as it has over the the length of of McDermott being the head coach, but it has. And it's been a strength for them. It's why they've been able to get by at cornerback two. And it's probably why they'll continue to do so in 2022. So knowing that they value the position highly, it's almost reminiscent to me of like the Tremaine Edmonds thing, right? Because Tremaine Edmonds was just this complete, you know i I, I kind of cringe at the u- the use of this word, but like people have described Kyle Hamilton as a unicorn. I don't even know what that means he's a human being, okay um <laughs> but you he's got a horn Joe he's got right, one horn right here um, but Edmonds was kind of along the same lines like he was a linebacker, but super tall, just ridiculous length uh just an absolute uh athletic freak for what you usually get in the position mm-hmm. And that is something that Bean gravitates to, like a fly or a moth to a flame, a fly to a zapper, everything like that. that. That's just who he is. He loves those traits and being able to mold those traits, and he did so with with their quarterback. The other part to this is the 40 time. If you go back and look at the draft year 40 times of the four players the Bills have on their roster right now at safety, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Jaquan Johnson, Demar Hamlin, they are in the range of somewhere between four five four a four six nine it doesn't matter uh, they believe that as long as you have instincts range and playmaking ability that you can play safety in their system so to me it could present an opportunity to wear and this is being to a tee right like he's aggressive when he sees a value falling down the board and if he believes this guy is potentially the best player in the draft i could completely see him moving up And the the spot that I kind of highlighted as maybe, hey, this might be the highest they might go is seven just because of his relationship with Joe Shane. And I think that would be a safe spot to secure him. And, yeah, that might be a little early for safety, but not when it's as important to the Bills as that. And especially not if um, Jordan Poyer is going through all this stuff and, you know, you don't know if he's going to be back next year. I think there is a legitimate case to be made to where Bean says, you know what? we think this is an impact player. We think this is a potential all-pro. Let's jump up and get this guy bef- so no one else does.
0: I'm looking over the the depth chart and I have a bunch of like, you know, things that I'm looking at and in questions obviously in the interior, of the offensive line. I thought Ryan Bates was really good last year, but um, you know, do the Bills pencil him in, as a starter? Right now I almost feel like they have to unless they're opening up the competition back again for Cody Ford. Roger Saffold's a good player. He's a little bit older. He's he's a little bit banged up. So there's questions in the interior. You look mm-hmm. at cornerback number two. I think in I think slot wide receiver is super interesting, the way that they've attacked that, bringing in Jamison Crowder. We'll probably talk about all that stuff a ton. And maybe we'll do that later in the offseason. But I guess my my question is two part. What do you think is the biggest remaining question mark or hole on the depth chart? Not punter, Joe, okay? Let's not end this thing with punter-palooza. Come on! Uh, Wait for training camp. We don't even have a second punter yet. We will.
1: We will. By the time the draft is done, we we will.
0: And yes or no, Jordan Poyer on the Bills roster in 2022. Ooh,
1: that's a spicy one to end it.
0: Um, I'm going to go a little
1: bit off the board because I'm sure everyone's screaming, corner, corner, it's corner, it's corner two, it's corner two, two, say corner two. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to go with right defensive end um, because... Mm -hmm. While you were where you were in Disney, I was away in a bunker watching every snap Von Miller took last year. Uh-huh. And one of my biggest takeaways is I thought he was far more dynamic rushing from the left side than he was the right. And the inherent problem with that is if they utilize him out there, Greg Rousseau has not taken a single snap on the right side. He might have in training camp. Did not do it a single time in in a game last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, if if you're using Von Miller on the left side, what's going on on the right? Are you using Boogie Basham? Are you trying to put Greg Rousseau over there? Are you hoping AJ Appanessa breaks through? Are you hoping Shaq Lawson does so on a veteran minimum contract? So what what exactly is the plan there on pass rushing downs? Or maybe are you looking at three defensive tackles with Von Miller? I'm just very curious to see how that whole thing kind of goes. So that's that's what I'll go with for that. Um, as for Jordan Poyer, I don't know. I, I want to say that he will be here uh, because of how important this season is to them coming up, but they are also not going to get to a point where they're going to push forward a value just because the player is upset. Eventually, you have to say, from an organizational standpoint, Enough is enough. Like, we can't get you to this point because that is not the value that that we assign. And that's sometimes caused them to lose a player in free agency, like the Harrison Phillips thing. You know, they – I think he even said it after the fact that the Bills valued him lower than – put a value on him that's lower than what he ultimately accepted to go to the Vikings. Mm-hmm. So if that value does not align with what Poyer and Drew Rosenhaus believe their value to be, then move on. It's it's tough. It's going to be difficult, but it's all, it also might be an opportunity to trade that player and accrue something that maybe you wouldn't have been able to get this time last year because he's still a really good player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm kind of couching it one way or the other, but I could honestly see a situation where – both results could could come to fruition.
0: The Jordan Poyer thing is interesting. I want to bring up Scott's question here. He's a he's a regular for the show. The Poyer thing is interesting because I view him in the building as one of the of one of McDermott's guys, right? One of the guys that gets the he combines the ability, like the the high level ability, with the you know proven track record of getting the message across to other guys right which you know player driven leadership is important he's been an iron man for them he's missed only two games in the last five years so availability which is so key all of the the pieces of this for me the more and more i think about it the more i think i just can't envision a scenario where he's not here but we could be on the road joe to like a holdout as crazy as that is to, right? to say with Poyer right. and the fact that he's taken all of these um you know player friendly contracts or team friendly contracts, you know, the comments coming the gist of the comments coming out from Rachel Bush are that, listen, he's, he's taken less to be a team guy for years and this is his opportunity to cash in. That's the gist of what I'm getting from all of her, her comments and comments that are have not just started over this last week here. These are comments that have been coming out from, from the camp for a while now. Mm-hmm. And listen, it's hard to disagree with them. I mean, this is the year this is the time coming off the year that he just had, whether or not you want to say he's among the top five safeties in the league. He was named a first team, all pro that that's the, mm-hmm. that's the negotiating power that he has. And he's going to try to probably try to use it now. That's what the drew Rosenhaus move says to me. So that's the piece of it that, man, how do they, how do they get past that point? Right. The, the budding heads of it, the, the way that, you know, to figure that out, I, there's a lot of people in here saying, trust the process. Brandon Bean has done crazier things than what working with a guy that they've had a really good relationship with over the years, what that's going to be. So anyway, long story short, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out and how it yeah. has an impact on a very like positive spring and summer. This could be something that looms because, you know, mini camps right around the corner. Well, what's going to happen there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I mean, it's, it's super interesting and I, I don't at all fault. Jordan Poyer for wanting to maximize his worth. I mean, that I mean, it is, this might be his last bite at the apple here because right. of where he is in his career. So I don't fault him for wanting to get paid commensurate to what he believes he, he is, he is dessert or that, that he is owed. But that said, that doesn't mean that the bills are going, are going to just, you know, roll out whatever that the player wants, because that becomes a slippery slope. And if, if the, Demands are more are, are weightier than what you are willing to give. At some point, you have to say, no, it's we can't do that. We're out. And so that's why it's, it's very compelling. I think the the looming part of this potentially hovering over their heads is a very good one. Because, you know, back when, back, you know, whatever it was, 12 hours ago when Stefan Diggs resigned and it seemed like all was well in Bill's land before this, this whole Jordan Boyer thing kind of began, it seemed like they have removed all the variables that every potential pitfall that they could have had was taken care of in terms of contracts, um, getting players to be a star studded uh, starting lineup, every, every little thing. But, and, and it really pointed to the fact of taking care of digs now to make sure that it does not become an issue when they get to offseason workouts in a couple of weeks and then the start of OTAs in, in the month mm-hmm. of May. But now they're they quite possibly could be looking at it with someone who was a captain of the team this past year. And I just wonder, because this is a this is a good negotiating window now, because if you are planning to do something and trade him away this is the ideal time to do it right before the draft. So they've got they've got some thinking to do, and they need to figure out if these values can align, and if they can't, then see what you can get. I, I, it's, it's a cold business, but sometimes you have to be cold.
0: If you're another team, how do you view Hyde and Poyer? Yeah. Because for me, from another team, like Bill Belichick has always just raved about him, but I can't remember a single time he's talked about either of them Without mentioning the other guy's name mm-hmm. and I wonder if because of that that they've they've been billed and branded as this tandem that you'd almost be wondering worried, I feel like buyer beware, am I going to pay all this money and draft capital for a safety and only be getting one half of the dynamic duo, and it might not work in that new setup if you don't have that other guy just because of how much their success is based. They've said it themselves, how much it's based on their ability to communicate. They don't even think about it anymore at this mm-hmm. point. And a lot of times they're out there and they, they may not even need a coach. Like they, they can coach it themselves. They know the system so well.
1: Yeah. It's a fair concern. Um, I will say that it all depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for an in the box safety who has instincts like Jordan Poyer does, then he's probably going to be successful Wherever he goes, if you're trying to take him out of position and and have him be more of a, a deep middle, that's he can do it. But he's not like that's not where he's at his ideal is not where at his at his peak. Mostly you would like him, you know, pinching down, being able to help support the run, you know, pick up players and coverage across the middle of the field, things like that. Um But it is it is at least a wonder. However, I think the the locker room element and the leadership element to it could definitely help influence a team that is trying to establish something Mm. uh, that has a need at safety, that has the potential salary um, flexibility to do something like this. You know, the, the, the team that continues to come to my mind, and it's not just because Joe Shane and Brian, Ah,
0: I was just going to say before you
1: mentioned it. It's, it's the giants. Like they, I was just reading uh, my my coworker, Dan Duggan, who does a great job covering the Giants for us. Like, they are bare at safety. They got mm-hmm. nothing. And they have the fifth and seventh overall pick, and they probably want another kick at the can in 2023, if I had to guess. so Do
0: you want you... James Bradbury back in a deal, or do you want just the draft capital? I
1: would rather go and get what if, if they believe strongly in a, um, in one of these top tier guys, like let's say a Kyle Hamilton or a quarterback too uh, just to, just to throw it out there, um, then go get that guy this year because he can help you. Whereas you can kind of get by next year and what you hope to be the 30th, 31st, 32nd overall pick in 2023 and ship that away along with Poyer to, to move up, to be able to do this. But it almost seems like a logical destination for him. So I, I I don't, I don't know if they're going to treat him. I really don't. I think Mm -hmm. it's in the realm of possibilities. I think it's also in the realm of possibilities that they give him a short term extension through to match Micah Hyde's deal, but they can't keep everyone every single year. I know this, I know the cap, uh, the cap is fake. And I'm not sure that
0: Boyer is going to be into that. Right. He might want more.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he sees Von Miller. He sees Stefan Diggs signing well into their 30s. Why wouldn't you at that point? Right. You, you would say, why not me? What, what's what's wrong with me? I've been a part of this puzzle for five years. Why not me? And I think he's totally justified in thinking that. But I think there has to be somewhere of a meeting point between what you believe you are worth and what the NFL believes you are worth. Eventually, you're going to get it from somewhere because the level of desperation around NFL teams differ from franchise to franchise based on where they are and they're built. So you're probably going to be able to find that somewhere if you are a good commodity. But the one thing thing teams and um, I guess people have to be careful of with long-term contracts is they're more projection than reward. Like Jordan Poyer was great last year. He's been really good for them over the past several years. How much longer can he do that? Like mm-hmm. how how much how much where's that fall off point? We talked about it with Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs. Where's that fall off right. point when he's getting in when you're paying him to on his new deal pick it up in H thirty two season? How much longer can that go at a high level? These are legitimate conversations that the Bills have to have about it.
0: We're gonna get out of here. So thirty seconds
1: <laughs> on this. I don't know if I'm capable of that.
0: Okay, I'm um, I don't want to put you in any box you're uncomfortable with, but Jerry Hughes, is the door closed, and your concerns about right defensive end is the answer on the roster?
1: You, uh, yeah, I, that was, I think, um, part of the idea of it. Uh, it's interesting you brought up Jerry Hughes because that's that's the person I brought up in the Von Miller piece because in my mind I'm like, okay, who could be a solid rotational you know, obvious pass rushing down specialist that can come in and give you good reps from, from one time to the next that might be in on, on coming to Buffalo for a year. I mean, help Jerry Hughes, his market has fallen completely flat. They might have more cap space because of the, the digs deal um, maybe to sign a cornerback. Maybe they might have a little bit more room. We don't have the details yet, but yeah, I could absolutely see that. And to answer your question, I don't know if the right end is on the roster. I don't know if maybe they're they're going to try and put Von Miller over there because what the Rams did last year is because they had two guys who were at their best rushing from the left and Floyd and Miller, and so they kind of split it up. They eventually pushed Miller over there more often than Floyd, but they split it up. And Miller was still good from the right side, but he was dynamic from the left. Mm. And so I wonder how they're going to play it. And I don't know if that right end is on the roster. I think they would have to hope that one of Epinesa, Lawson or Basham step up and I don't know if I could bank on that.
0: Joe Bascalia from The Athletic hey, joining us tonight. So thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Let everybody know where they can find your work. You got a bunch of stuff out right now. I'm sure you got something uh in the pipeline coming out pretty soon. Uh let yeah. them know where they can find you.
1: Yeah, you can find me over at uh, at the athletic.com. Um you can read any of my bloviated takes over there, usually <laughs> on the draft, usually long-winded, usually I I try to be as different as possible but within reason um, you know that's just that's just kind of my shtick Uh, so you can you can read all over that over the at the the athletic and then uh, you can listen to the podcast the Buffalo Beat uh, wherever you find them whether it be Apple Podcasts Spotify what have you so yeah find me all there
0: there you go everybody maybe Ryan will be back next week I'm not sure Uh, I saw one Facebook commenter saying uh, lol Ryan isn't here to carry Matt this week and you're right But guess what? Joe B. was here to carry me, and I appreciate that. For Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic, I'm Matt Perino, uh, Syracuse.com. We will see you next week. Enjoy your week, everybody. More Bill stuff, I'm sure. News dropping any minute.
1: Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.